So we just want to thank God for His presence and what He has and is and continues to do. Praise the Lord. Summer is actually, believe it or not, is, uh, summer break is coming to a close and folks are making so many decisions now and choices as to school and career paths and college and getting the kids in the right school in the right place and getting even career paths. Everything is uh, a lot of choices being made. And as I was praying, the Spirit of the Lord said, I need you to prepare my people that they know how to make good decisions. They know how to make good decisions. Because the Lord, is, I'm telling you, promotion is here. Promotion is here. I, we're coming up on Rosh Hashanah, the end of next month. And if you'll study God's calendar, that's the first of the year, the spiritual new year that God sets up. Even so much so that the Hebraic calendar, that's when they start their new year. We do it January 1, but they do it at Rosh Hashanah. And we are all coming up on that. It's such a biblically uh, special feast, a fall feast. And, uh, and it's a, a t- uh, the time, if you study the times of God, you'll see so much that God is planning, so much God prepares for, and bringing in a harvest comes at Rosh Hashanah, so uh, the Feast of Trumpets. So all of that is right before us. So uh, there's final decisions I believe you guys are being faced with, choices that you're having to make. And believe it or not, it all has to do with the kingdom. It all has to do with your place in the kingdom and what God has for you in going forward. I'm here to tell you, I just prophetically feel the Lord is saying over your life that there are some of the greatest things you've ever even dreamed of. Some of you have not even been able to have enough faith to dream that big that God's got prepared for you in the near future. And it will be dependent on the choices that you make and the things that you do in the days leading up to that. I believe that's why this message is so crucial and so important uh, for this day and for today is that we know how to make the good decisions, how to make the godly decisions that will help propel us into our destiny. Father God, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have access. In the name of Jesus, we have power. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here today. And I just pray now that you would move, minister, touch, deliver, heal, raise up, Lord God, promote in every area of that which you so desire in and through our lives, Lord God. As we study your word, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear, see, and understand your word, Lord God, that we might put it into application in our lives, that we would go forth uh, pursuing and understanding and living in the kingdom as you have called us to do, Lord God. To you be the glory, the honor, and the praise, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How to make good and godly decisions. The story is told about this young manager who is coming in to replace this retiring executive. And uh, this retiring executive has set some uh, amazing, I mean, just amazing uh, uh, achievements that everybody just so admired. So the younger man approached him and uh, he asked, Sir, there is such a legend of how you've become such an amazing leader in this company. And could you just give me some advice before you retire and before you leave? I'm going to try to fill your shoes, but I need some advice from you. So the older man, he pondered the question and he responded three words. And the young man's looking at him. He said, write it down. Three words. So the young man gets him a pad and he starts writing down. The older man says, make good decisions. 
She writes them, make good decisions. We said, that's good advice. Um, what's the key to making good decisions? And the older guy said, one word. One word, write it down. Experience. So as he's writing down experience on his paper, he says, well, how do I get this? Two words. Yes, two words. Bad decisions. <laughs> Let me tell you what, that's the world's way of trying to succeed. But let me tell you what, God has a better plan. God has a better plan. He does not want you to have experience that helps one day get you to do good decisions because of all the bad decisions you've made. You can know that when you follow the Lord and His wisdom, He can keep you from making the bad decisions. He can help you stay out of the valley. He can help you stay out of always having the world crushing in and crumbling in on you because of some bad decisions you've made. Now, psychologists, they estimate that each of us are faced with hundreds of questions uh, or decisions we have to make every day. And, and, and some of them range from, you know, very trivial. Are we going to eat Mexican? Are we going to eat Italian? We're going to eat Chick-fil-A. Well, it's Sunday. We're not going to eat Chick-fil-A. You know, it's going to Sushi King. Where, where, where are we going to eat? Well, that's some trivial ones, you know. Uh, some of them are moral decisions we have to make that moral. Uh, we've got to make choices between good and evil. Uh, priority, uh, whether this is better, better, or best. Uh, decisions we have to make. And, and we have to know that decisions are so important because they are the sum total of our life. We end up being the sum total of the decisions that we make. Uh, we make our decisions and our decisions make us. You are here today. You are experiencing what you're experiencing. You are living through what you're living through much in part because of the decisions you have made. It's been said, be careful of the choices you make today. They become your lifestyle tomorrow. And that is so very, very true. So we need to learn how to make good decisions and we need to learn how to make godly decisions because if the choices we make today become the lifestyle we live tomorrow, let's choose to live a kingdom lifestyle. Let us choose to live a blessed life. And the only way we can do that is make, by making good decisions today. And as we're faced with numerous choices in each and every day, uh, you know, we have to understand that our decision-making is so important. Some of our de decisions will have temporary consequences. Uh, some of you will have heartburn by sunset because of decisions you've made today. Some of you will feel energized and, and food that you eat will, will be like vibrant life in your body because of the decisions you make. They're, they're kind of temporary. Uh, some of you, uh, the decisions we have to make uh, are, uh, have lifelong consequences. And, uh, and we have to know that the decisions are important. Some decisions we make have eternal consequences, and we need to be very mindful of that as well. Uh, many times we are not sure uh, if our decisions are pleasing to the Lord or not. We don't, we, Lord, I want to please you. I want to live this kingdom life. I want to be a part of advancing your kingdom, but I'm not sure what I should do in this area or what I should do here. And when you have decisions to make, 
I'm giving you some very practical biblical guidelines that can help you decide and make the choices in such a way that you know it honors God, you know it advances His kingdom, you know it is for your good and the plan that God and purpose that God uh, has for you, and it will help propel you into your destiny. So I've got several questions we're going to ask. When you have a decision to make, if you want to make a good decision, if you want to make a godly decision, you can run them through these questions and it will help you determine the right answer. The first question you all want to ask when you have a decision to make is, does it violate the clear teachings of the Bible? If it violates the Word of God, we know what decision we should make. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. The breath of God that took clay and gave us eternal life and gave us the life that we have, the Zoe life that Jesus wants you and I to have, that life comes from the breath of God. That is the same breath of God that is in the Word of God. This is not just an ordinary book. This is a divine book. And you need to study the Word of God. You need to memorize the Word of God. You need to meditate on on the Word of God. You need to study it. You need to delve into it. You need to listen to preaching and teaching on the Word of God. And today we have, like, unlike any time in the history of the world, we have the privilege and the opportunity with just a little device we can hold in our hand. We can have every translation of the Bible. We can have every concordance of the Bible. We can have every lectionary of the Bible. We can have every transliteration of the Bible. We can search the Bible. We can find a scripture. We can get commentary. We can get study notes on just that little device we hold in our hand. Let me tell you what. What I would normally have to have, a, a 10 by 20 trailer packed from the top to the bottom to move that much books from one office to the other, you can carry that and so much more in your hand. There is no excuse for not studying the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of God, and applying the Word of God to our life today than ever before in the history of the world. But you must believe that this is a supernatural book. You must believe that this is the breath of God. You must believe that what God says in here is infallible and it is true and it is whether you believe it or not. We live in a day and age where it's trending to not like the Bible, to not trust the Bible, to not want to go to the Bible. But let me tell you what trends come and go, but God always remains. And the Bible says that one day the sun, moon, and stars may fall into the sea and nothing else is left standing except the Word of God. Build your life on the foundation of God's Word and let me tell you, when the storms of life come, you'll still be standing. You'll still be standing. So when you've got a decision to make, you've got to come to the Word of God and you've got to say, does this violate the clear teachings of the Bible? If the Bible says it's wrong, I don't care if Hollywood is celebrating it, it's wrong. I don't care if my family is celebrating it, it is wrong. I don't care if the friends at work are celebrating it, it is wrong. I'm going to stick with God's Word. All the junk that they are celebrating is going to fall into the sea, but the Word of God's going to stand. That 
ungodliness will not sustain me through the storms of life. I need the foundation of God's Word. So when you're making a decision, you need to come with that question, does it violate clear teachings of the Bible? And if it does, you can stop right there and say, no need to go any further. I don't need to go get 17 people to come in and agree with me against the Bible so I feel better about it. You can know that the blessing of God, the power of God, the favor of God is not going to go with the decision against God's Word. You can know that. It may be unpopular. It may not be politically correct. But let me tell you what. Those tides come and go. You better stand on a rock that is forever stayed. Amen? So we have to take the choices of life and run them by the Word of God. Because the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete thoroughly and equipped for every good work. We have to take the Word of God and make it central in our life. And everybody at Christian Embassy says, Amen! Hallelujah! So in order to make good decisions and godly decisions in life, we're coming to making those uh, choices. We come with questions. Does it violate the clear teachings of the Bible? Secondly, does it cause my brother or my sister to stumble in his faith? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, boy, is that a messed up church. You know, some pastors I meet with and they're like, oh, my church, my church, my church. And I just have to be quiet because I'm like, I brag on you guys. And they finally, ah, shut up, Tim, just shut up. He got the perfect church. Shut up. No, no, it's not perfect. I'm there, you know. So it can't be perfect. But, man, I brag on you guys. And they're like, how oh, my church? I said, well, one time I told him, I said, think about if you were Paul and you had the church at Corinth. I mean, you got this secular bunch of wild heathens. They all come to got revival and got excited and took Jesus and serving Jesus. But they got some of their heathen ways that are really, they bring it right into the church. They bring that flesh living right into the church. Things I don't even want to talk about in public. You can read about it. And, uh, but one of them was that in that day and age, they would, uh, uh, because there were so many false gods and false idols and so forth, and a lot of sacrifices would take place, but there was, there was somewhat shortages as well. So in order not to sacrifice something to these, all these idols and false gods and then throw it away, they would take it and kind of do a, a little wave offering for that false god and then go sell it, but they had to sell it at a discount because it had been used as a sacrifice to one of the false gods there. And the people, there's some people in the church says, you know, these younger Christians are like, ah, no, I, 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 think it's, I think it's sin to eat meat that's been offered to these, fault, these, these idols and these gods. I think that's a sin to eat it. And there was others in the church said, ah, these idols, these gods, they, they're dumb little trunks of trees and, and stones. And they're not, it's, it's really imagination. There's no such thing as another God. There's only one true God. So meat is meat. And I'll take the discount. Sounds like Pastor Rodiga. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so they're having this big argument. So Paul gets called into this and the Holy Spirit is using Paul to uh, uh, deal with it. And Paul says, well, you know what? I... I agree, with, I agree with you guys that there are no real gods. All that's imagination, all that's false, all that. There is no such thing. There's only one true and living God. So that crowd is over there, yes, yes, uh, Paul's on our side. 
But then, but then Paul says, but on the other hand, with these young Christians who are not mature in their faith to see where that kind of stuff doesn't really matter, uh, this is really affecting their conscience. So I say, even though I agree with you guys, if it's going to be a stumbling block to these who are still yet getting their faith rooted, don't be a stumbling block. For eternity is more important than you eating a piece of meat right now. So if I if need be, I'll, I won't even eat the meat. I'll, they'll never see me eat that meat because he didn't say he wouldn't eat it, but he said they wouldn't see him eat it. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, because I'm not going to be a stumbling block. So I think it's very important principle here is that you and I have a responsibility. It's not about just satisfying your flesh. Your flesh will lead you straight to hell. The appetites of your flesh will lead you to even deny there is a God. Your flesh cannot be trusted. Your flesh can be up one moment and down the next. It is a bush gardens roller coaster your flesh is. So you cannot build your life on your flesh. And let me tell you what, we, the Bible says that we're to walk by the Spirit so that we can uh, fulfill the purposes of God. But if we walk by the flesh, the Bible says we will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't be a kingdom of God people walking by the flesh. And the flesh says, I deserve my meat. I deserve it. You weak-minded Christian, this thing bothering you, you need to get over it. And you just tear into that turkey leg, okay? Get over it, you know? There ain't no such thing as a, another God. There's only one God. Get over it. This ch chicken leg at Bush Gardens would have cost me $15, but because it was waived at this ISIS or something like that, I got it for $2. Shut up. And Paul said, no, no. There's something more important going on here. We've got to help these that are young in the faith and weak in the faith mature. If we're a stumbling block, we got to choose not to do it. There may be some things you could biblically say, well, I have a license to do this. I have a license to eat this. I have a license to drink this. I have a license. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's a stumbling block to your brother or your sister. You may think, I'm in my own world, I do what I want to do. God said, no, no, you're in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, it's, it's all of us. And if there are those that you're being a stumbling block, better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea than to be a stumbling block to one. So you have to ask the question, does it cause my brother or my sister to stumble in his faith? And then the third question you ask when you want to make good choices is, does it violate my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? There again, you don't own your body. You, you know that song, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. I've heard some people say, it's my body and I'll do with it what I want to. It's not your body. Read 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't own ourselves. We, if we want to take ownership back, then we have no redemption. And we're on our way to hell. God says, I have a plan of eternal life for you, but you've got to surrender all to me. 
And if you'll surrender all to me, I created you. I know what's best for you. Let me help you make the right decisions, and you'll just go from glory to glory and faith to faith. You get, it gets better and better. You think you know it all, but God says, I was here before you were, okay? And I got a better plan. So if you'll follow me, you will find the greatest joy in all of your life. But your body has appetites. And your body, it, it, it was born in rebellion. It was born in the flesh. It was born falling short of the glory of God. And if you let your body call the shots, let me tell you what, you're going to be unhealthy physically. You're going to be unhealthy spiritually. You're going to be unhealthy relationally. You're going to be unhealthy socially in every way, psychologically in every way. You cannot let your body call the shots. You have to be in charge of your body as you're surrendered to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that may not be shouting preaching, but let me tell you what, that will keep you out of the pit of hell or living like hell on earth. I can tell you that right now. Romans 12 and 1 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And do not be conformed to this world. That literally says, Do not be pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. Go in as a caterpillar, come out as a butterfly. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your body is a gift from God. Your body is the temple of God. Your body has been bought and purchased by God, and your body has a purpose, and it says it right here, to glorify God. So don't look at this as a temporary vehicle that really doesn't matter whatever I do to this body. It really doesn't matter whatever I put in this body. It really doesn't matter. God said, it, I, that doesn't fly with me. Your body is a gift, God says, from me. And I dwell in your body. Your body is the temple of my spirit. And you are to take care of this body. Somebody say amen. 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 So when you have a decision to make, does it violate my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? That, that'll, that'll help you make a good, godly decision. The other question you can ask yourself is, does it violate the express will of God's appointed authority over you? Man, I'm talking about discipline of body. I'm talking about discipline of mind. I'm talking about discipline of authority that is over you. Man, this is a sermon that may give us heartburn. But I pray it's good heartburn, okay? That it wakes us up because we need to realize that we are subject to God, not God being subject to us. Does it violate the express will of God's appointed authority over me? Now, these scriptures here may make you squirm a little, but that'll help get your blood flowing because maybe you've been sitting too long. Okay, Romans 13 and 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. This is the Roman church. They're, they're under Rome's rule. Rome is not a godly government, but God is telling them, I am in the midst of the authority there that I've given is to bring order and to bring peace and to bring a, a righteousness that is of me, even though it's being done through a secular authority. You are to be subject to that. Titus says, let me come in. Paul, you're talking about it? Holy Spirit's told me to talk about it too. He says in Titus 3 and 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So he says here to speak evil of no one, these authorities. I tell you what, somebody could take a little understanding of that 
on Facebook and Twitter today because let me tell you what, if you're not careful, your flesh will rise up and you'll come against and curse every authority that whether it's your party or another party, let me tell you what, I find all the parties I've ever seen has got flaws and got sin and got selfishness and self-righteousness in them. Let me tell you what, there's one party I want to be and that's God's party, okay? I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God transcends all earthly parties and, and there, there are authorities and there's rulers that God says we are to be subject to. Now we do have to take the whole counsel of God's word. And God's Word teaches us that if an authority over us violates the authority of God, then we are to choose to uh, be subject to the authority of God. So if an authority over us is violating the will of God, then you look to the authority, say that, thar- that part of the authority is not from God because it's going against God. It's going against His Word. It's going against His plan. Then you are to uh, ratchet it up and say, God, I'm under your authority here. This is a sign of the sinfulness and the fallenness of man that is trying to advance the kingdom of darkness. So you got Titus uh, coming in on this. you got Paul coming in on this. Peter says, well, i got the same Holy Ghost. Let me jump in as well. And he comes in in 1 Peter 2, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether its king is supreme or the governors or those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. That by doing good you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And as free, you're not using the liberty that you have as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. There's things that you, you have a liberty you could do in Christ, but you're choosing not to do because you're a bondservant of God and you don't want to be that stumbling block. So it's, it's an amazing thing that we see even in the secular society, there are the fingerprints of God, the fingerprints of God. But then God brings it into the church as well. First Peter 5. He says to the elders or the pastors, as you find the context here, he said, pastors shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now that's, that's why I, that's my goal is to shepherd the flock that God has given me uh, here at Christian Embassy and, and not by compulsion, compulsion, nobody's forcing me to do it, but because I want to do it, not to do it for dishonest gain, but to do it eagerly and not to be a Lord over you that God has entrusted to me. So that means if I'm ever a Lording over you, the Bible says you should take the Bible and rebuke me. You should come to me and say, Pastor, you're, you're, you're controlling. You're controlling my, you know, you're controlling everything about me. You're lording your position over me and, and you're not letting me grow as God would have me to grow. Well, you can rebuke me. I encourage you to do that because I don't want to be out of alignment with God's word. I don't want to lord the authority he's given me over you and take advantage of you. That would never be in my mind. But if it does, you let me know. Because we'll make it right. We'll, 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 we'll first, we'll fight and we'll clean up the blood. And after that, then we'll talk about it. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I said that in the first service and some of the folks looked at me like, is he serious? You know, no, it's hyperbole. Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Your right hand offends you, cut it off. 
He didn't want you to pluck your eye out and didn't want you to cut your hand off. Hyperbole. It's an over-exaggeration to make a point. So that's all I'm trying to do here. Okay. So then he says in verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. And yes, all of you be submissive to one another. That presbytos there, elders there, means those that are uh, not only, it could mean those that are older than you, or another way of translating that in context is those who are more mature in the faith than you. Some people may have been in the faith longer than you, but maybe not more mature than you. That's why when we have prayer, the Bible says, you know, if anyone's sick, let them call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith will raise them up. My, my heart, as God has helped me so understand that, is the elders is not this, this titled people that walk around with badges on them, that they're elders, you know, but those that are mature in faith. If you want someone to pray the prayer of faith, to stand in agreement with you for a miracle, you need those that are mature, elders, presbyters in faith. So, so when we call for uh, the prayer ministers, those are the ones that have gone through the healing school. They have gone through and worked in the healing rooms and they have, they have proven themselves that they're going to stand in faith on God's word in agreement with you for whatever they're touching and believing God for. So we need that. We need that. And uh, so we thank God for that. But he says, you uh, submit yourself to your elders or those mature in the faith over you and those who are mature over you. Yes, be submissive to one another. So not just your elders, but also be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I'm here to promise you this. God will exalt you in due time. Pastor Rodico was talking about that earlier, about there is that due time that God, there's a season God has for you, but you have to stay humble, submitted to him. If you'll humble yourself, his hand will lift you up. But if you are prideful and you know everything and it's all about you, then it says God resists you. You don't want the hand of God against you. You want the hand of God under you and lifting you up. Amen? And then in Ephesians 5 and 6, those two chapters, Paul talks about all these levels of authority and submission where parents are to obey Christ, submitting to Christ. Children are to obey parents. Employees are to obey, uh, employees are obey their employers. Citizens are to be subject to governing authorities. Mature Christians are to be subject to the elders who are the equipping pastors. Uh, all are to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. All are to submit to Jesus Christ as His example and the example that he lived and all are to submit and obey to God the Father. So if you'll read Ephesians 5 and 6, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about here where we see uh, making a good decision. We ask this question, does it violate the express will of God's appointed authority over you? If it does, I can promise you that decision is not of God. And then another question you want to ask in making good decisions is do I have all the facts? Do I have all the facts? Proverbs 18 and 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly, it's foolishness, and shame to him. You ever met someone, they know everything, but they know nothing? Okay. We had people try, you know, I remember when we started the church and we were growing and everything, and folks would come to me and, and uh, you know, I don't even know if they've even attended church before, but all of a sudden, after a few weeks, they're telling me how to run the church. And they're telling me who should be up on the stage and who shouldn't be up on the stage and who should be doing this and who shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, you don't know all the facts. 
There's things I know in counseling and things that I know that I'm not privy to even let you know. And, and, and that person can't be promoted like you want them to be promoted because there's things going on that they've shared with me and, and you just, they didn't tell you, but you got to trust me. Now you say, well, well, I want to run to church. Well, then you go down to the school, rent it like we did, clean up the pizza and the pepperoni off the floor, mop the floors like we did, set up the chairs like we did, and start your church, okay? You go you right ahead. Or, if you don't like the way things are done at Christian Embassy, there's 573,000 churches within a three-mile radius right here. Hyperbole, overstatement to make a point, you know. We don't want you to go to any of them. We want you to stay here and grow. But we're not going to let your flesh rule. It just doesn't work that way. Now, am I the perfect pastor? Don't you say it, though. Don't you say it. I'll say it. No. Y'all be nice. I am not the perfect pastor. But am I the pastor God called to shepherd this house? Yes. And am I seeking Him every day? And humbling myself every day. And saying, Lord, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Every day, I do. I do, because I know I'm accountable to him. I'm going to be held accountable for this, right? This is a safe place for you to grow. And this is a safe place. You can trust the leadership of this house. You, have, you need to be in a house where you can trust the leadership. If you can't, you say, well, I just don't like the way he combs his hair. You know, go find somebody that maybe doesn't have hair. Yeah, it's fine, okay? But find a house where you can trust the authority that God has placed in there, it will help you get out of the flesh and into the Spirit. Because if you walk according to the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And how sad would it be for your flesh to be celebrated and, and fed and fertilized in a church of God, in the house of God, and instead of you growing spiritually, you're growing fleshly. Instead of getting closer to God, you're getting more like the devil, all because some authority or some leadership is so scared of you or so accommodating because they think they need your smile in the congregation. We're talking about eternal work here. Amen? So do I have all the facts? Amen. Brother Warren gave me one amen, and I think Sister Denise elbowed him to give me that one in the first service. You, I'm going to tell him, man, we got some hand claps on that point here. Proverbs 18 and 17, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines it. You don't know everything. You got you to ask a lot of questions, and don't fall prey to your emotions. Man, they'll lead you astray. Remember, there are at least two sides to every story. At least two sides. Amen. It's usually three, four, five sides. Amen. Okay, we've got to quickly move on here. We've got another question. If we're going to make good decisions and godly decisions, is, is the pressure of time forcing me to make a premature decision? That's the tactic of the devil. How many of you have ever gone to a timeshare presentation? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we need deliverance. <laughs> the altar is now open for everybody who's been to a timeshare presentation and felt violated. Come on up, we'll pray for you now. Okay. Wow. And the pressure. Or you go try to buy a car. And the pressure. You got to. I love some of our uh, representatives of dealerships, even in this house. Brother Terry, thank you. He's like, if I can't get you the car that my daughter's going to be safe, my wife's going to be driving it, I don't want you to have that car. And I'm not going to pressure into it. And if you financially are going to be put in a bondage, then you don't need to be getting that expensive of a car. Man, you don't find many men with integrity like that in the business. We thank God for them. And that's why we celebrate them and promote them. But uh, you, you just got to understand that 
pressure. You've got to do it, and you've got to do it now, now, now. You'll find that when you make decisions under time pressure like that, you usually make the dumbest decisions. So much so that laws have been written by even ungodly men and women. Laws have been written to say you have so many days on big purchases that you can say, wait a minute, I've sobered up. Oh my goodness, I got out from under that pressure and you can return it. You can drive it back on the lot and say, I don't need this $435,000 car. I don't need it, okay. It was nice to drive it home and back and I know it probably depreciated $100,000 overnight, but here, by law, you got to take it back, okay. So why would laws be like that? Because even... Normal people without trying to honor God see that we don't make the best decisions when we're under a time pressure forcing us. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of, everyone, those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Beware of those once-in-a-lifetime deals that promises instant gratification. God says that's not His plan. The Bible says to get rich quick is not of God. I know it seems good, right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's take our halos off and sit here and say, man, if I get a million dollars overnight, wow, that would really, really be good. Okay. Okay, now let's put our halos back on and say, but God said that's not good for me. He says, this is how I want you to build wealth, little by little by little, so that you're being, you're being built up so that you can sustain it. Because if you've got broken issues, more money will only exaggerate those broken issues. That's why people that come into windfalls usually say it was the worst thing ever happened to them. Oh, at first it was fine. But then when all of the tragedy happened, they're like, wow, it will just give me my simple life back. So don't let the fear of missing out drive you, your decision. When in doubt, leave it out. When in doubt, leave it out. Amen. How are we going to make good decisions? How are we going to make godly decisions going into the wrap-up of this year, of Rosh Hashanah going into the new year? How are we going to be prepared for the propelling of God into the next level that God has for us? We're going to make the, the choices that we have. We're going to make good godly choices. And how are we doing that? We're going to bring those choices through these uh, seven questions. And the seventh question is this. Does it truly glorify God? And can I truly ask God to bless it? Does it, if I choose to do this, does it truly glorify God? And can I ask God to truly bless it? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, do it all for the glory of God. When you serve in the church, do it for the glory of God, not to be seen of men, not to get a pat on the back. When you do something at work, do it for the glory of God. Don't do it for the paycheck. Don't do it to try and, and, and you know, uh, suck her up or whatever, suck up or whatever it's called in the political scheme of, of the uh, uh, office politics. Do it for the glory of God. When you serve in the soup kitchen, do it for the glory of God. When you serve in the streets, do it for the glory of God. When you're vacuuming in the house of God, do it for the glory of God. When you're vacuuming in your own house, do it for the glory of God. There's no better, no better option than doing it for the great. You'll make the greatest impact on the kingdom of God when everything you do, you do for the glory of God. God wants you to make good godly decisions. He is giving you opportunities. He is giving you, I'm promising you, I know prophetically the Lord was showing me this week and the weeks that are come, you're going to be faced with some, some big decisions. 
Some of you are already faced with some big decisions. Some of you didn't even know it's coming, but it's coming. You're going to be faced with some big, important decisions. And God is giving you, He loves you so much, He's giving you ahead of time exactly how you can filter it and see God's will in making the right choice. So here's the seven questions as we close. Does it violate clear teachings of the Bible? If it does, you know the answer. Does it cause my brother or my sister to stumble in their faith? Even if my license, I can do it. Is it causing someone to stumble? Does it violate my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? This body is a gift from God. We need to take care of it. Wow. Some of you got ice cream on your mind. Let me say it again. This body is a gift from God. We need to take care of it. We need to take care of it. Does it violate my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Does it violate the express will of God's appointed authority over me? Do I have all the facts? Give me all the facts before I make the right, so I can make the right decision. Here's there's this time pressure. Do it now. Do it now. You lose it. You lose it. Up. When in doubt, count me out. That's not how God works. And does it truly glorify God? You have made decisions. Some of you are faced with decisions to make today. And some of you are going to have some big decisions coming. I guarantee between now and Rosh Hashanah, the Lord showed me you're going to have some big decisions. It's good stuff. It could be good if you make the right decision. And the Lord said, teach my people how to make a godly decision. And I faithfully come to you today to share with you what God has shared with me to help us navigate and make the right decisions. But I'm here to tell you the best decision that is for eternity that you can ever make is the decision to serve Jesus Christ and to make Him the Lord of your life. That's the best decision you could ever make. Let me tell you what, before you go on to any other decisions of jobs and careers and schools and anything like that, you need to make sure you're taking care of the eternal one. Is Jesus Christ seated in my heart, the throne of my heart? Is He? Do I just give it lip service and then I go do my own thing? Am I just a religious facade and I'm really in control or have I truly surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. If He is not Lord over all, He's not Lord at all. And Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that we have to confess His Lordship in order to be saved. So He's either Lord over all and we're saved or He's not Lord at all. There's no loving both. God says you either love me and hate the other or you're devoted to me and despise the other. God, man cannot serve both God and mammon. And mammon is a world system where we trust the world system to meet our needs based on the Chaldean false God. Wow. Have you made the decision to serve Jesus Christ? and Him to be your Lord and Savior. If you have not, you can right now. If you have not, you can make that decision right now in this closing prayer. 
if you would just stand with me as we close in this prayer. And as I pray, if you would like to make sure, maybe you're not sure, you'd make sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you've totally surrendered to Him, I want you to pray with me as we pray together. Pray with me, everyone, that, that wants to and wants to reaffirm your relationship with Jesus Christ. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning and I thank you that you've made a way that I don't have to die and go to hell. And I don't have to live in hell on earth. But I can be saved. I can be forgiven. I can be redeemed. I can be restored. And I can be united with you through your son Jesus Christ. So I call on his name. The name of Jesus. You tell us in the word that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus, Jesus, I call on you, Jesus, come into my heart. I yield my life. I surrender my life. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I repent. I turn from the old. And I turn to you. Jesus, my healer. Jesus, my deliverer. Jesus, my provider. My Lord, my Savior. From this day forward, I will serve you with all that I have, with all that I am, and with all that I do. I love you, Jesus. And I give my all to you this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory!